Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And we have David Jackers of the Fasting Transformation. And we are going to have so many great topics. We're going to be talking about advanced nutrition strategies all around your hormonal health. We're going to talk about how to lengthen your fasting without ruining your hormones. And we're going to talk about how to lose more weight with your best digestion strategies for fat burning. So David, welcome. Thank you, Chantel. It's an honor and a privilege. Looking forward to our conversation. So let's start with talking about some advanced nutrition strategies, because I think that um, one of the biggest things people are having trouble with, and I know I am right now too, is my hormones are getting wonkier and wonkier. Um, I'm in that transition phase. I'm kind of in that pre-menopause stage, and I definitely feel like my hormones have just gone wild. So talk about what you're really seeing with women in that era right now? For sure. Well, you know, blood sugar, our blood sugar, um, you know, it needs to be kind of in a, in a certain kind of equilibrium point or a homeostatic point. And when our blood sugar swings up or down, that's going to really impact hormones. You know, we know that insulin is the hormone that comes out and takes sugar, puts it into the cells where it can be used for energy. And insulin is a life-saving hormone because, you know, if blood sugar is elevated for a long period of time, the sugar molecules will bind to proteins in the blood and they'll create something called an advanced glycation end product or an AGE. And so Chantel, AGE, what does that spell? Age, right? It ages us, accelerates the aging process, creates massive oxidative stress in the system. So insulin is trying to protect against that and also obviously trying to help the cells utilize the sugar as a fuel source. And so we need to be eating in a way that keeps our blood sugar very stable throughout the day, as well as our insulin levels, keeping that very, very stable. If our blood sugar is going up and down, we're getting big swings. That's going to really impact our estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone production. And so when our blood sugar, when we have high insulin, for example, um, for some women, they'll develop high testosterone and develop a condition called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, or also cystic acne, right? Where they get a lot of acne on their face. For other women, they end up with estrogen dominance. So depending on, you know, kind of genetic tendencies for that woman, they might have too much testosterone or they might have too much estrogen if their blood sugar and insulin are off. And if they have too much estrogen, then they end up with things like um, endometriosis, PMS, right? Different issues like that. And then of course, as you get into perimenopause, like what you're talking about, um, get into perimenopause and then eventually into menopause, you actually oftentimes will end up, a lot of women will end up with too little estrogen and progesterone. And then they have hot flashes, they have um, night sweats, right? A lot of different issues like that, because at that point, the ovaries stop producing a lot of these hormones and um, there, there's still a small level of production. In fact, almost every cell of your body produces some level of sex hormones, but it's, it's not enough. And the body is prioritizing stress. So when your blood sugar is off, it's a major stressor on the body. And the body always prioritizes stress hormones over sex hormones. And so if your stress hormones are high and your body's saying, hey, I need stress hormones because I'm trying to survive, 
that is a priority over sex hormones and all the different benefits that sex hormones give us like growth and repair and healthy skin, healthy hair, things like that. That's those things are great, but they're not going to, they're not going to, you know, um, help us survive in an immediate acute crisis, right? Whereas stress hormone does. And so if you're under a lot of stress, like Chantel, you and I were just talking, you said you're under a lot of stress with your work. And so when you're under a lot of stress, that's almost like a bad diet, right? So when you're under a tremendous amount of stress, particularly for a long period of time, it's almost like eating bad foods because it, that itself is going to cause blood sugar imbalances. Because when you're under a lot of stress, your body's producing a lot of cortisol, a lot of adrenaline to try to get blood sugar up. And so and that's because it, your body doesn't know the difference between you trying to you know, close a deal with your real estate company uh, prepare for an interview or whatever, you know, is the major stressor that you're working on and you're putting intense energy into it. Um, you're running around, right? You're not really getting enough time to slow down, take deep breaths, whatever it is that's stressing you, your body doesn't know the difference between that and you running away from, you know, somebody with a spear, right? Or a lion or something like that, that's chasing you. And so you're, you know, running for your life. And so because of that, your body's trying to prioritize, get more quick fuel in the blood, we know glucose is a quick energy source. Fat is a is an amazing energy source. We can produce a, an abundant amount of energy from burning fat, but it takes oxygen. We need oxygen to burn fat effectively. And if we're on the go, right? If we're in a survival mode, if we're running away from that, you know, figurative lion, we're not going to have enough oxygen to produce enough energy from fat. So we need that glucose available. So the body's prepping for that. It's elevating blood glucose, and then since we're not really running, right? We're not really necessarily exercising. Uh, that glucose stays high. And so then what comes out? Insulin. Insulin comes out, brings the sugar into the cells. But when insulin's high, it turns up inflammation. Um, higher insulin will drive up, like we talked about, estrogen for a lot of women, create an estrogen to progesterone um, imbalance. Uh, and that can be an issue. For men, it will take estrogen. It will actually take testosterone and there's an enzyme called aromatase and aromatase converts uh, testosterone into estrogen. And so for a lot of men, when they have a lot of stress or if they're not eating well, they have blood sugar imbalances, high insulin, they end up with too much estrogen, right? And we call that male andropause. And for most men, like if you see a middle-aged man and he's got, he can't look down and see his feet, right? His belly is kind of covering it. Um, that's a sign he's in male, he's in andropause, right? He's going to be lower in testosterone, higher in estrogen. And so this is a significant issue. We know that blood sugar is so important for survival, but if we don't keep our blood sugar stable, that is going to dramatically impact our hormone expression and cause a lot of unwanted symptoms. Yeah. And I think that, you know, for men as well, like they don't realize that high blood sugar levels decrease testosterone production. And yeah. like you said, you know, high blood sugar really affects every aspect of how well your body functions, including the pr production of testosterone. And for me, at one point, my testosterone, I got my labs done and my test testosterone was abnormally low. And it, again, it was 
probably because of how much stress that I'm under. So right now I actually am taking, um, a low dose of, you know, compounded in the pharmacy, a low dose of testosterone and a low dose of progesterone because both my progesterone and Mm. testosterone were extremely low. And so I just, I have to take a little bit of that per day. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, a lot of women, I talked about high testosterone, but for a lot of women, they end up with low testosterone and testosterone is so important for mental function really plays a big role with your dopamine pathways. So your, your goal setting, um, feeling good, feeling like you're accomplishing things. A lot of times that goes down. You feel, start to feel more lethargic, uh, when you don't have the testosterone, uh, libido goes down that, uh, that goes down your ability to, to, uh, create lean body tissue, muscle mass, and be able to burn fat that goes down as well. So for a lot of women, they are dealing with that lower testosterone. Um, and that, you know, again, is, is oftentimes the main contributor is blood sugar, insulin, and stress, right? And so getting those things under control can really help support that. Mm. So what would you say is kind of like, you know, I want to talk about kind of the the fasting window for women for a minute. And then I want to talk about the fasting women, the fasting window for men, because Mm -hmm. I do feel like me personally, as I've, my hormones have kind of changed, my fasting window has had to lengthen, especially during, you know, my time of the month and, you know, just with my hormones changing. So talk a little bit about, you know, shortening and lengthening your eating windows Mm -hmm. and what you've seen are kind of the best eating windows for men, the best eating windows for women and different parts of their, their life. For sure. Well, I'll start out with men. Men are pretty easy when it comes to fasting. Um, you know, men, obviously they have, you know, times of the month, that's what I've heard. Right. But, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely not as significant as women. And so for men, most men, it's pretty easy after about a week, you know, of adapting to a 16 to 18 hour fast. I mean, they have it down. Right. So once, you know, in the beginning, whenever you're, whenever your body is, is, is built to eat at certain periods of time and, and it loves consistency, So if you're eating at 8am every morning, eating a a big breakfast, and then all of a sudden you say, okay, I'm going to start intermittent fasting, I'm not going to eat that breakfast, you are going to feel hungry in the beginning, right, at least for the first few days, but it's mostly a mental issue, it's not really a true physical hunger. And your body will adapt as long as you're getting, you know, the, the, the calories you need in your eating window. So for most men, it's easy to get them doing a 16, 18 hour fast. The first three, four days may be uncomfortable, but by the end of the first week, they usually have it down. Um, and they can, they can easily do that on a, re- on a daily basis, 16, 18 hour fast, unless they're like an extreme athlete or something like that. Um, and I love to see men get to, you know, the place where they're able to do like a once a week, 24 hour fast. I think that's a really, really great strategy. Of course, if they're looking to lose more weight, um, you know, incorporating exercise, obviously it's huge, but they may also do two or three, uh, 24 hour fasts or one meal a day, um, in, in over the course of a week. Right. So they may incorporate that more often, but for me, somebody like me that, you know, I've never tried to lose weight, but I love the benefits of fasting for, um, the human growth hormone benefits. It actually helps me build lean body tissue. I, I really do it for, for the inflammation reducing benefits. I just feel like my joints are healthier. My brain feels healthier when I'm fasting. And so this is something I incorporate on a regular basis. And I do a weekly 24 hour fast to really thrive, right. And be at my optimal. Now, when it comes to women, particularly women that are going through their menstrual cycle, you know, we definitely have to be more delicate with it. So the first part of the menstrual cycle 
we call the follicular phase, right? And that's kind of when the ovaries are building up. So day one is your first day of menses um, and up till day 14, which is ovulation. And then the latter half, 14 to 28, we call the luteal phase, okay? And so during that kind of first day through, let's say one through 10, um, it's actually a great time to do intermittent fasting. It's a great time to go low carb. Um, as you get a little bit closer to ovulation, you may, uh, you know, oftentimes with women, I'll have them do a little bit less fasting, like maybe a day or two before ovulation and, um, you know, eating a little bit more carbohydrates, right? Some root vegetables like beets, um, sweet potatoes, carrots, things like that right after ovulation, then you can go right back into intermittent fasting. You may even do an extended fast. You know, usually you feel really great kind of during that ovulation window. Um, and then uh, the week before your cycle, so roughly around day 21 or so, that is where your body's really, you know, building up that uterine lining. And so you you really want to make sure that you're getting enough free hormone, enough free to uh, free estrogen. So basically, consuming more carbohydrates during that period of time, we're doing less intermittent fasting, consuming more carbohydrates, more protein, more calories in general. Uh, most women notice that they just feel better. In fact, most women, if they're not doing that, will tell you that they have a lot of cravings that week before um, menstruation. That they just start have a lot more cravings. So consuming more healthy calories. Okay, so I don't, I don't recommend going out to Krispy Kreme or something like that, but instead consuming, you know, getting more carbohydrates, more calories from, you know, good, good, clean pieces of uh, protein, pieces of meat, um, healthy fats, and then doing uh, sweet potatoes, root vegetables, right, are usually good and fruit as well. So doing berries, um, avocados, uh, doing uh, oranges, grapefruit, right? Different things like that. So you're getting a little bit more carbohydrates during that window. Um, and you'll notice that you tend to feel better and you have less PMS symptoms when you're able to do that. So that's usually how we do it. And if you follow that, it should really allow you to get more insulin sensitive. So that first, you know, 10, 12, 13 days of your, of your cycle is a great time again, to go low carb, intermittent fasting, and that's going to really help improve your insulin sensitivity. So then you carb cycle out for, let's say, a day or two right around ovulation. And then, um, you know, you go right back into intermittent fasting, okay, lower carb diet for another week. And then you're doing like a week, basically, where you're kind of more in a feasting phase, right? Now, not trying to overfill your body purposely, but kind of eating intuitively, right? And just kind of following your natural cravings, but choosing healthier foods. Okay. And I think if you do that, you'll notice less PMS symptoms um, that you'll just feel better all throughout the month. Yeah. It's funny because I have really kind of interviewed a lot of women and some women say like kind of day one through seven, they feel like they can really do great on doing extended fasting. But then I have a lot of women that say really day 15 through 21 is the days that they feel like they can do a lot in that luteal phase because it occurs right after ovulation, but it's enough time before your period starts. But here's the reason why I think a lot of people day 15 to 21 is because your progesterone levels are so much higher during that 
day 15 to 21. For me personally, as I've gotten a little bit older, when my progesterone levels are not where they need to be, um, it's very difficult for me to fast. And so that's why, you know, that day 15 to 21, that's, you know, day 21, they say is when your peak of progesterone is. So day 15 to 21 would make sense. But then there's some people who say no, you know, women that say, you know, day one through seven of my period, you know, for me, I don't think that's my best time, but everyone's a little bit different. Um, so yeah, definitely. I love that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, every woman is a little bit different, but I, I hear the same as you that usually right around ovulation or latter half, and then into that luteal phase or beginning of luteal phase is when women tend to feel like they are, you know, on top of the world, they feel great during that period of time. Well, and I think everyone can agree that the seven days before your period starts, don't even think about fasting. Everyone agrees on that. Everyone knows that's not the time to do any kind of fasting. That's not the time to do low, low carb. It's just not good for the men in your life. It's not good for you. It's not good for anyone. Everyone agrees on that. Now, I will say most women can do like a 12 or 14 hour fast, almost like an overnight fast. You know, and that's usually what I'll recommend during that window um, is like an eight to 10 hour eating window, right? Some women I've noticed, they they are still able to do an eight hour eating window as long as you're consuming enough protein and carbs, right? Um, and calories are very, very important. For other women, a 10 hour window works really, really good for them during that cycle. Um, and for some women, particularly very, very lean women, um, they might need a 12 hour eating window, right? From 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., let's say, you know? And so, and what I find with fasting is, you know, for the people that are, you know, particularly the, the hardest demographic is your very, very lean women who are already low body fat. And then they're also like exercising intensely and they're stressed. They, they're a mom, they've got a career, whatever it is. You kind of stack those things. And then they think, oh, I'm going to do, you know, all this intermittent fasting. I'm going to do one meal a day. And it just overstresses their system. Right. So that's what I find. But any level of stress, right? So like if you are under a lot of stress, you have to understand that intermittent fasting is a stressor as well. And kind of like exercise, you know, and, and if you're somebody who's exercised regularly, you felt that at times where you feel like, you know what, I might be overtraining. I might be doing a little too much exercise. It's the same with fasting, right? You can overwhelm your system. You want to prime your system, strengthen, create more resiliency, but you don't want to overwhelm your system with it. So your body needs kind of a, a cycle where, you know, there's times where it knows that, okay, nutrient needs are met. We're in a, we're in a place of surplus here. Things are good. We can build and grow, right? And then also at the same time, it needs, you know, to be in periods of time where it's like, okay, we're in a famine. So we need to be more um, efficient with our energy. We need to break down more body fat, more of this, this, you know, go into our savings account basically and start to use our body fat for fuel. We need to break down damaged proteins in our cells uh, through this process of autophagy and start to break those down and utilize the, those materials to rebuild cellular structures, to rebuild different protein-based structures within our cell. So we need, we need to be cycling back and forth between uh, those two places and depending on the individual and their stress level, their body fat, their, their exercise level, um, you know, how well they're sleeping, that can slightly differ, right? There can be variations in that. And that's the key is really kind of finding the right variation for you in the season that you're in with the unique, 
you know, stress bucket that you have? Well, I want to hear kind of a day in the life of, or a day in the week of David Jackers. Like what are some of the extended fasting that you're doing? What are you eating on a regular basis for you to feel like you have the most optimal nutrition for yourself right now? Yeah, for sure. Well, as far as extended fasting, I don't do it much, right? Because I'm very, very lean. I'm very active. So I'll do like a three to five day fast once a year. Okay. But what I do do is throughout the week, I'm doing most days an 18 hour fast. And then one day a week, I'm doing like a 20 to 24 hour fast. So usually on Wednesday, I eat lunch, and then I don't eat again until Thursday lunch. And I work out very intensely. Uh, before I break that fast. So Wednesday is a rest day. I don't work out. Um, and then, so that's the, a good day for kind of a more extended fast. And then Thursday, right at the end of my fast, before I break it, I work out real intensely. Um, and then after that, you know, probably 20 minutes after I finish, I'll break my fast. So that's kind of typically how I do it. Um, every now and then, maybe once a month or something like that, um, I'll have you know, maybe breakfast or something like that, but it's, it's extremely rare that I, that I do that. Um, and so that might be like on a Saturday, something like that. Usually Saturdays, I'm having a little bit more carbs and the way that like, like my, I would say my quote unquote cheat food would be, we get this against the grains pizza. That mm. is amazing. My kids love it. Right. And so we put on like Turkey pepperoni, we put on olives and onions and stuff like that. And we cook that up and it's, it tastes amazing. So I do that, but on a regular basis, I'm eating, um, typically for lunch, I'm eating, um, either leftovers from the night before, or I'm having like a big protein shake with avocado, uh, lots of protein powder in there. I use either grass fed raw milk or, um, coconut milk, and I'll put some berries, some frozen berries in it and uh, some C8 MCT oil, which turns immediately into ketones in your system. So I'll put that in there, have a great protein shake. Um, I might have like a little bit of dark chocolate, uh, something along those lines with it. So that's usually lunch. It's either leftovers or it's like a protein shake like that. Um, and then dinner is lots of meat. So grass-fed beef. Um, we do a lot of that. We'll do um, cheeseburgers where we do uh, grass-fed beef and grass-fed cheese that we melt on it and no bun of course we'll do brussels sprouts we'll do i make a i make this mediterranean salad a lot where um, we dice up cucumbers artichokes hearts of palm bell peppers tomatoes um what else is in there black olives sometimes green olives onions and uh, we we just put a ton of olive oil on it lemon juice and a lot of herbs right basil oregano thyme things like that it tastes great and so I eat that a lot. We'll do Brussels sprouts, asparagus, right? Different types of veggies like that. And I eat a lot of meat, right? So I'll eat, you know, I mean, easily half a pound or something like that of uh, grass-fed beef, maybe more sometimes, depending on how hungry I am. And then one of my favorite desserts is I'll get some organic yogurt and I'll put in, we have a uh, strawberry collagen protein that I'll put in there. So it kind of has a strawberry flavor. And then um, we'll pu I'll put in some, there's a, there's a brand, uh, Perfect Keto. You may be familiar with them. So they have a new cereal. So I'll put like this, a little bit of their cereal in there. I grew up eating cereal, right? So, <laughs> so since, you know, over the last 20 years, I've eaten very little cereal, right? And so I'm kind of excited about this. So I put a little bit of that. It's got a great crunch in it and they have healthier ingredients in it. 
and I'll put in like some nuts, like some cashews or something and um, some berries in there, some strawberries or raspberries, blueberries, whatever. And then I'll just mix that up and I'll have that. My kids love it. I love it. So that's kind of like a healthy dessert that I'll have oftentimes. Um, and that's usually what, what we're doing, right? So I, I tend to eat a high protein, high healthy fat, lower carb diet. And my body, my just my metabolic type, I need a lot of calories, right? And I, and I exercise a lot too, right? So I, I'm working out five days a week. And then I'm also active, even on my off days, just running around with my kids, playing sports with my kids, my body type, I need to be active. I really enjoy it. And, um, and I have to eat a lot of calories to maintain my body weight, right? And maintain my muscle mass. However, um, I do definitely do best when I eat them in a kind of a, a you know, a tightened window, right? So usually lunch is around somewhere between one and two o'clock. And then, and I always, when I work out, it's always right before lunch. So it's fully fasted. So my workouts um, are going to be, you know, somewhere around 12, 1230, one o'clock. And then, um, and I'm doing upper body, lower body, high intensity um, resistance training. Sometimes I'll go out and do some sprints. Um, I'll run my neighborhood is usually a warm ups, and that's it's about a mile run. Right. So I'll run that and come back. Um, and then I'll, I'll hit the weights after that and then I'll break it. And so when I break my fast, I usually take amino acids first. So I have a product called amino strong, which is essential amino acids. And so I put that in water. It tastes good. It's like a fruit bunch flavor. And I get immediate amino acids right into my, right into my muscles. And so usually I'm fasted for 18 hours. My growth hormone is really high. Because as you're fasting, your insulin goes down, your growth hormone goes up. And growth hormone has to do with healing and repair, right? And it helps you build lean body tissue. It helps with autophagy. It helps with skin, with the immune function, right? And it's great hormone to have when you are exercise boosts it and so does fasting. And so it really helps with building lean body tissue as long as you fuel well after you finish your exercise, right? And so I take the amino acids. And then about 10 minutes later, I'll have, you know, my protein shake or leftovers from dinner or whatever it is that I'm that I'm eating that day for lunch. And so I usually eat a pretty good size lunch and then a, and a, a pretty big dinner and usually dinners around uh, most days around six o'clock, right? And that usually I'm done eating by seven o'clock. That's, that's my typical goal is no more food after seven o'clock, because I want at least three hours to fully digest it before I go to bed. And I usually go to bed around 10 or 10.30. So I wanna make sure I'm fully digested um, so that way I get the best quality sleep. Mm. So from a nutrition perspective, that's that's what I have. That's awesome. I actually, you kind of answered the question, but I wanna run into a couple of questions that people have asked. Um, and one of them is from Ashley. She said, I know that you work out in a fasted state. I've heard you state that on several podcasts. I've tried to work out fasted, but I'm having a really hard time working out in a fasted state. What do you suggest? And have you done any podcast on this topic? Um, I have done a couple podcasts on this topic and um, it there's one number three. 307 with Thomas DeLauer that I did. There's that we actually did two together and we really talk about building muscle while still doing intermittent fasting. So you can go back and listen to those episodes. But I love that you work out in a fasted state. So give any other tips that you have that 
you know, why is she feeling like she can't yeah. work out? I, I can't, I can't yeah. work out if I do eat. So like, know, that's I'm a hard question you. for me to answer because I'm like, if I eat, forget it, there's no chance I'm even going to work out. So totally. it's hard for me to relate to that question. Yeah, totally. Chantelle. I used to feel like that back when I was a personal trainer in my early twenties, it was like, I had to eat and then I would work out. I don't know how I did that. And your body will adapt. You know, some people will adapt. If you actually, if you started eating kind of pre-workout, your body would actually adapt to it over time. Just like you'll adapt to fasted exercise as well. Your body will adapt as long as you are getting enough quality calories, particularly protein during your eating window, right? That's so important. And then on top of that, for some individuals, they may need more electrolytes, right? So taking a little bit of salt in your water can be really, really helpful. Um, there's another, there's a company element. I don't know if you're familiar with them, Chantel, but they have a, a, like a great kind of, it's like a pre-workout drink, no calories in it. It's got sodium, potassium, magnesium. Uh, you know, those are the main electrolytes that it has in there. And, you know, it's flavored with like stevia or something like that. So kind of, gives you like a great pre-workout drink um, that's just electrolytes. So you're still in the fasted state. You might get a slight, slight increase in insulin just because of the, the flavoring and they have an unflavored as well. Um, but most people feel great. In fact, I'll drink that before I work out and I feel like I, I, I do better, right? My, ex, my workouts are better, especially if I'm doing a really intense workout, it's a hot day. Um, I actually usually, I didn't mention this before, but I actually, I have a sauna, infrared sauna, and I actually do my Bible reading and worship in the sauna in the morning, right around eight o'clock. So I usually wake up at six. You know, I've tried like Bible reading first thing when I wake up, for whatever reason, my mind wants to like start getting work done. So I get work done and then I get, my kids are getting up. I, I, I say hi to them and everything. And then I go do my Bible in the sauna, right? And so I'm sweating, you know, so I'm letting out electrolytes. And so for me around, I don't know, 11, 12 o'clock, I'm taking back in some electrolytes to prepare for my workout, right? And so I'm getting those electrolytes back. I don't feel like I need them, but I just noticed that I do feel like I perform better. So for some individuals, that may be key is getting a little bit of electrolytes in. Um, and I think that that can be really helpful. Um, but I would say the biggest issue I see is that people are just not eating enough calories during their eating window. And so therefore they're already in like um, a calorie deficit and um, you know, they're just not used to eating bigger meals in a consolidated eating window. So that's what I would try to focus in on, right? Making sure you're consuming enough calories, keeping your blood sugar stable um, during your eating window and then, you know, fasted exercise and then staying hydrated, right? And a particularly hydrating before you work out is super important. Well, I want to talk about pre-workout for just a second, because I've actually read so many things of some of these pre-workouts. I saw one that had seven servings of caffeine in yeah. it. So I think it's really important to have a good pre-workout that doesn't have all the chemicals and all the junk and also doesn't have seven <laughs> servings of caffeine uh, to it. So yeah. tell us about the pre-workout you do yeah. and, and the benefits of the amino acids of, of how that really helps you. Totally. Well, caffeine, it can be a great ergonomic aid, right? It can be amazing for improving your performance. However, just like anything, your body will actually adapt and habituate. So, uh, you know, you might do it, you might cycle it. It's actually a really good idea to cycle it. So your body's constantly adapting and changing. So maybe if you're working out four days a week, you might do caffeine before your workout two days a week, let's say, 
right? Um, and then not, you know, the other two days, so your body's still, it's not creating a dependency on that, on that caffeine. So that's key. And again, and again, like not seven servings, you got to watch out a lot of those pre-workouts, again, tons of caffeine, a lot of sugar, oftentimes, um, over sweetened. So even if something doesn't have sugar in it, but it's just like got a really sweet taste to it, that is going to impact your insulin, right? I know for myself, other than that, like a little bit of stevia in this kind of, um, element drink, right. With, with the electrolytes, that's, I seem to be fine with that. However, if I were to like, let's say put a bunch of stevia in my herbal tea in the morning or in my water or something like that, I'll have cravings throughout the morning. So you really want to be careful with that. And your fasting window is a really good time to reset your dopamine receptors, right? And your dopamine receptors, they love the sugar, right? They love the sweet taste. And there's nothing wrong with that when it's kept under control, right? When you have it, you know, at just let's say in your eating window, but outside of your eating window, you don't want to overstimulate your system. So I would recommend doing your best to avoid sweetened beverages, right? As much as possible. And you might do caffeine, but like one to two servings, right? And if you're feeling jittery, if you've noticed that caffeine causes more cravings, okay, that's a sign you're overdoing it. Okay. If you drink a cup of coffee, for example, you actually should feel really good, right? So you should feel great. You should feel like you perform better, should actually help you fast longer. If it's doing that, then it's supporting you. If you notice that you can't, that you have more cravings, you're feeling jittery, you have brain fog, you're feeling irritable. Okay, that's a sign that it's not supporting you. So you need to back down on that. And also putting actually a little bit of salt, right, sea salt or something like that in your coffee, or in whatever your, you know, caffeinated choice is, green tea, um, that can be really beneficial as well. Because, you know, even though the research isn't, um, you know, it's, it's not definite that caffeinated beverages, we used to think that, they dehydrated you because they're, they're quote unquote diuretics. The research isn't actually clear on that, but what we do know is that um, they will pull some electrolytes out of your system. So adding back a little bit of salts can be really helpful. And you could even just take a little bit of salt and put it on your tongue. Um, and it can be as simple as that. So doing something like that, you know, just making sure you're hydrated before your workout is always super important. A little bit of electrolytes can go a long way. Uh, particularly salt, sodium being the most important one, uh, pre-workout, that will help. And then again, you work out, and then it's a really good idea to get some free-formed amino acids, right? You don't have to do this. There's a lot of people that do amazing just eating you know, whole foods, right? So it's not something you have to do, but if you want just a little bit more of an edge, okay, taking some free-form amino acids, especially if you've had digestive issues too, I, I will say that. If you've had issues with um, you know, just digestion in general, then taking some free form amino acids, they really bypass the digestive system and get right into your system and turn on muscle building, right? And fat burning. So that can be really helpful. And you want to get essential amino acids. There's a lot of supplements out there that just have branch chain amino acids, leucine, isoleucine, and, and valine, but you want all all the essential amino acids, and that will also have the branch chain amino acids in there as well. So leucine being the most important for muscle building. Um, and so, you know, you should be able to get a good quality essential amino acid and take that right after your workout. 
what is the brand that you like the best for pre-workout and for amino acids? Yeah. So for the pre-workout, I use the element that was started by a friend of mine, Rob Wolf, and you can find it's L M N T. And it's basically mostly sodium. It's got potassium and it's got magnesium in the right ratio. I think it's got like a, one serving stick has like a thousand milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 50 milligrams of magnesium. And this was all done based on the science, right? They just looked at the science for performance. And what they've also found is that, you know, taking that about an hour before your workout really increases, um, you know, your overall blood volume. So you have more blood volume and you're able to bring more oxygen to the cells. It reduces fatigue. Uh, improves endurance, improves mental clarity when you're exercising, things like that. So that's the element and they have it in unflavored as well as flavored. Okay. My kids love it too. Right. So I give that to them. My kids are athletes, so they drink it. They love it. Um, and then um, after workout, I have one called amino strong and you can find that on my website, on my store. It's a very popular product. Uh, people love it. It tastes, you know, it's flavored with stevia. It's easy to drink. And uh, it's got all those essential amino acids, again, a free form, really easy for your body to, to assimilate and start going to work, rebuilding your muscle tissue right after you finished uh, with your, your workout. Mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about digestion, because I think that some people are having their biggest trouble with digestion. So let's give the best digestion strategies for fat burning. Yeah, for sure. So many people are. And what I find is that a lot of people are not producing enough stomach acid, bile, and pancreatic enzymes. So here's a quick at-home test that you can do. The first test is this. You eat a steak, okay? So get a six-ounce steak, eat a steak. You can put salt on it, but don't eat any vegetables with it, just a steak. And then see how you feel for the next three or four hours. You should feel great, right? You should feel great. You shouldn't have acid reflux. Any digestive issues, you should feel very mentally clear. It's a lot of good, a lot of good protein and healthy fats. If you're noticing that you have indigestion, acid reflux, gas, bloating, you feel like you've got brain fog, you feel irritable, right? Anything along those lines, that's a sign it's probably sitting in your stomach. You're not able to break it down effectively because you're not producing enough stomach acid. So that would be a sign we need to support your stomach acid, right? And I'll come back to supporting that. The second test is a fat bomb test. This is where we, and if you just go on Google and you search in fat bombs, you'll see all these different recipes. It's basically like 250 calories of coconut oil and um, chocolate, like dark chocolate, right? It's got very little carbohydrates, maybe a little bit of fiber, um, mostly fat, little to no protein. So you consume that and you see how you feel over the next few hours. If you feel, again, sluggish, if you feel like you've got pain in your gut, if you have acid reflux, if you've got gas, bloating, you know anything along those lines, if you have diarrhea right after that, that's a sign you're not producing enough bile. Bile is key for emulsifying the fats, breaking them down. It's also antimicrobial, helps really clean the small intestine. So we'll come back to what we need to do for that. The third test is the broccoli test. So this is where we consume a little, we, we steam broccoli and we consume broccoli. Again, you can put salt on it, but nothing else, just a bowl of broccoli. Um, and you consume that and you see how you feel over the next few hours. Again, if you've got gas bloating, right? You just don't feel like you digested that well. You're, you're fatigued. You have brain fog. Okay. These are signs that you're not producing enough 
enzymes and or, and they usually go together, you have too much bacteria in your small intestine when they should be in your large intestine, something we call small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And so they're fermenting and breaking down the fibers that are in that broccoli too quickly, right before it gets down deeper into the digestive system. So if going back to the steak test, if you failed the steak test, right, you didn't feel good eating that steak, here are things you can do. One is take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar in water and drink that. If you notice that you have pain, like sharp pain in your stomach when you do that, it's a sign you may have an, an ulcer, right? So you may have a stomach ulcer. If you have a stomach ulcer, you want to make sure you're coming off of any sort of NSAIDs, right? Like ibuprofen, Tylenol, anything like that. Make sure you're coming off of that. Those are linked with ulcers. So that's really important. Um, and if you have an ulcer, some things that can be really helpful would be ginger tea, Licorice root tea, slippery elm is another great herb for it. Aloe vera, drinking aloe vera on a regular basis. Those would all be really good. And oftentimes, an ulcer can be related to an H. pylori infection. So you may have an infection in your stomach, so it'd be really good to seek out a, um, a functional health practitioner. If you're noticing that just drinking a little bit of apple cider vinegar causes pain, diluted apple cider vinegar in some water causes pain in your stomach. So I'm not talking about your mouth or your throat, right? In your stomach, the pit of your stomach. So with that said, that is going to be about 10% of the people that fail the baking. So or, I'm sorry, the uh, stomach acid test, uh, the, the steak test, the other 90% don't have an ulcer, but they're not producing enough stomach acid. So things that help are actually taking apple cider vinegar with meals. So taking a tablespoon or two of apple cider vinegar, and let's say four ounces of water, will help to naturally bring more acid into your into your stomach. And the apple cider vinegar will actually trigger your vagus nerve. And your vagus nerve is your is vagus is Latin for wanderer travels from your brainstem down into your viscera, including your stomach and helps with the production of stomach acid. You can also chew on some ginger root. So just get some ginger root. It's very bitter. But you chew on that and the bitterness stimulates the vagus nerve, which stimulates stomach acid production. So you can do something along those lines. You can even just actually get some water in the back of your mouth and gargle. I know it sounds kind of funny, but just gargling as, as intense as you can uh, for about, let's say, two minutes, a minute or two, maybe 10 minutes before you eat, okay, can actually stimulate that vagus nerve which will help stimulate the production of stomach acid. So all of those things can help. Um, and then, you know, drinking ginger tea, a lot of the things I already talked about can be very helpful. For some individuals, you may need a supplement. It's called betaine HCL, betaine HCL. And you may find it with like isolated where it's just betaine HCL. You may also find it in supplements where it's combined with things like digestive enzymes, um, ox bile, stuff like that. So on my website, we have a number of different types of uh, BTN HCL types of supplements, but that's what you're looking for. And we want to find the right amount of BTN HCL for you. So you can repeat the steak test where you do the steak. Okay. This time you take, let's say a capsule of the BTN HCL and you see if you feel better. If you feel better, that was the right amount for you. If not, if you still didn't feel good, then you need to increase your dosage until all of a sudden you notice when you eat that six ounce steak, you feel good. You feel like you digested it well. So that's your stomach acid with bile. Okay. Things that really help bile are things like dandelion root. Okay. Ginger tea. I mean, all the things I talked about for stomach acid are actually very good for bile flow, but dandelion is really good uh, for that. Also artichokes, radishes. So just eating some radishes 
having artichokes. I mentioned that Mediterranean salad that I eat. Artichokes in there. Artichokes are one of the best things for supporting bile flow. Radishes are really great, right? So doing radishes, uh, munching on some of those can be really, really helpful. Um, almost anything bitter. We say bitter is good for your liver. So if you're consuming anything bitter, the bitterness is going to really help. Um, so we're talking about things like parsley, right? Parsley is bitter. Dandelion, obviously, very, very bitter. Um, ginger, very bitter. So those things are all really great for bile flow, right? And that will help um, with, with supporting bile. And then also on top of that, you may need some supplements that have things like ox bile in them, right? So already have some bile, especially if you don't have your gallbladder. A lot of people think your gallbladder produces bile. It doesn't. It stores bile. Your liver is what produces it. So you want to support your liver with these kinds of herbs, right? You can also get some bile salts, things like choline, taurine. You'll see that um, in different supplements. For example, I have one called Bioflow Support, right? Obviously, by the, by the name, you know it's helping bile, and it has choline in it. It has taurine in it. It has a lot of these bile salts, which thin the bile. It has dandelion in it as well that thin the bile and help the bile flow more effectively, right? So that's really helpful. And then when it comes to digestive enzymes, just getting a good, a really good, um, uh, you know, full spectrum digestive enzyme blend. A lot of people just notice that they feel a lot better. Um, in some cases, adding some probiotics can really support all these areas. So probiotics can be really helpful. So those are great things to start out with and try and see if you notice improvement. If not, there's something that you're missing. And I would recommend seeking out a functional health practitioner that can do a little bit more of a deeper dive. And you can tell them, hey, I, I did the steak test. This is what I found. You know, I did the broccoli test. This is what I found. And that will help clue them in to what's going on. And there may be certain infections, parasites, um, certain bacterial infections, fungal infections that are in your gut that you just need to clear out first. And then you'll start to really notice the, the the benefits. Well, I think a lot of what you just said answers this question, but I'm going to, we have a question from a listener that's from Natalie Calfat. She says, I started intermittent fasting in OMAD about eight months ago. It was mainly for the purpose of breaking my obsession with chocolate and giving my internal organs a break from constantly being involved in the digestive process. I've learned that one meal a day is my body's ideal intake. And whenever I step outside of that to two meals, which is rare, I regret it because I end up not feeling well and additionally fatigued. Is this common or uncommon, Natalie? Well, it's really interesting. So if you feel really great just eating one meal, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's great. Um, now eating two meals, you, your body may just not be used to it. Maybe you know, a new stress on the system. It's kind of like how when somebody starts fasting, if they're used to eating that big 8 a.m. breakfast, you know, like for me, when I, before I started fasting, I would eat, you know, a big breakfast, oatmeal or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, this is many years ago. And so in the beginning, it felt weird because I wasn't getting that big breakfast in. So I felt more hungry, right? Uh, even felt a little bit fatigued and things like that. But after about, after a few days, I noticed that my body adapted and I just felt significantly better. And this is what I see as a common pattern. So that may be the case. If you're used to eating one big meal and you feel great eating one big meal, 
you're not having an issue with stomach acid, bile, or, or digestive enzymes because you needed all those to metabolize that one big meal. So I think it's just a new stressor on your body because you're not typically eating two meals. And now you ate a meal at a time when you're not normally eating a meal. And it was a little bit of a stressor on your system. I think that's probably playing the biggest role in that. I think if you did it more regularly, you would, you would not quite have as much fatigue. However, um, you know, finding your kind of ideal zone is a great idea. And that's kind of basically what you've done with the one meal a day. So I think that's really helpful, but obviously, you know, supporting your body's ability to produce those digestive juices before, if you're going to eat that second meal would be very helpful because your body's not used to producing those, those, you know, the digestive enzymes and the stomach acid at that particular time. Okay. Meal timing is key. The more you can kind of get your meals in a certain zone and train your body to be ready to eat at that, you know, in that particular window, the better your body should be at breaking it down and digesting it. Okay. It's kind of fits into your circadian rhythm. And so if you throw in like an unexpected meal or something like that, you may need to wake up your digestive system, right? Cause it's not used to being awake at that particular time. And so doing like a little shot of you know, a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and four ounces of water can can help wake it up or chewing on some ginger root or something like that. The bitterness there will help wake it up and, and get it better. All right, one, two more questions. Katie Shannon says, I lost 11 pounds in month one, three pounds in month two. Is this normal? Kind of wondering if my slow conversion to essentially a daily OMAD might actually be stalling my weight loss as there's less variation. Well, I imagine she started like a whole lifestyle plan. She probably started doing intermittent fasting like you teach Chantel. She probably dropped a lot of carbohydrates. And when you do that, so I'm making an assumption that that's what she was talking about. So when you do that, your body, you actually start losing water weight. So you, when you store more glycogen, uh, more stored sugar in your system, that stored sugar also has water with it. So a lot of people will start, will, will notice pretty quick weight loss and then it plateaus. And that's because they're losing a lot of water weight in the beginning. And then they get really into the fat burning right? So then their body starts burning fat and it's not quite as fast of a weight loss as when they were losing that water, that initial water. So I think it's totally fine. Three pounds in a month is great. So I think you're right on track. Um, I would just continue making sure that, you know, you're, you're following a good eating plan, a good, uh, consolidated eating window. I think she said, OMAD. I, I may have picked that up or not. I'm not sure. Um, and then making sure you're exercising, keeping your stress under control, really prioritizing good sleep. That's so important. And if you're doing those things, it's going to progressively, uh, the weight's going to progressively come off. All right. This next question is from Lee Ann Foster. Does anyone have any experience or evidence on whether consuming apple cider vinegar during a fast affects your insulin? Thanks for any advice. Looking for ways to up my water intake during a fast, but sometimes plain water is so boring, which this is a funny question because I'm thinking she's saying like, to me, I hate apple cider vinegar. <laughs> so like, I don't get it. Like, are you trying to add that into your water? Or I think what she's saying is just does number one, does it affect your fast? And then two, like, is there anything I can do with my water that's not going to break my fast? So I think that this is a really good question. I'm glad you asked it because apple cider vinegar 
actually is a postbiotic. There's no calories in the apple cider vinegar that you're going to consume and elevate your blood sugar. It's actually a postbiotic, meaning that it's the bacteria have broken it down and they've created uh, very, very, very small, you know, little polyelectrolytes and different different compounds that act as postbiotics, acetic acid, for example. And this actually helps with healing your gut lining, supporting your gut lining, and supporting your gut bacteria. So for a lot of people, they actually feel a lot better doing a little bit of apple cider vinegar and water. Now, again, I'm like you, like I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's gonna like create great flavor, right? However, um, actually doing that can be really, really supportive for your fast. You may notice that you feel better because you're supporting your gut lining and your gut microbes during that period of time, right? And so with these, with this sort of postbiotic. So I think that could be really, really helpful. You have to try it out for yourself and, and see what you notice. Outside of that, you can do herbal teas, right? So you can do, and I don't know your thoughts on that, Chantel, but you know, different herbal teas can be great. Fine with the biggest, it. What's that? I'm fine with it. I, I think that what happens is, you know, there's some people out there that, are so fanatical. Like they'll say, like, if you have, and I really just have green tea with, um, like, this is my go-to it's actually hibiscus tea and green tea combined with no, uh, no sugar, nothing added, but some people will be like, Oh, hibiscus tea is not good. It breaks your fast. And to me, I'm like, listen, it doesn't break my fast. I've literally have one of those blood glucose monitors, right? And, you know, the continuous glucose monitors, and we've got yep. tons of episodes on them before. I literally check my blood glucose. What does it go up one or two? Like nobody, you know, I'm, I'm at 80. Like if it goes yep. to, from 80 to 81 to 82, like they get so caught up in like things that it's like, and make such a big deal about it. And it's like, listen, if this green tea with hibiscus raises my blood sugar by one point, you know, I'm happy for that to happen. Like I'm yeah, not, and if you're wearing a CGM, if you're wearing a CGM and you drink something and it goes up one point, you don't even know that 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 had anything to do with the drink, right? Yes. Because as you'll see, if you're watching that, it's going up one or two, dropping one or two. Like this is just a continual pattern that's happening all the time in in the body. So yeah, it had no impact on your blood sugar. And really, the way that you'll know if something is breaking your fast is does it increase your cravings? If you're noticing that your cravings go up, your fatigue. You know, you have more fatigue, you have more irritability. You're noticing these kinds of, think about like a hypoglycemic or somebody that's when their blood sugar is going down, they start to not feel good, right? They still start to feel more dizzy. They have more cravings or irritable, right? Nauseous, different things like that. You may notice some of those types of symptoms if you're consuming something, you know, that, you know, for example, would break your fast, okay? Like for me, Um, if I have stevia in something during a fast, all right, even though there's no calories in there, I notice that I just don't feel as good. I have more cravings. So that's telling me that I'm getting an insulin response. And then that insulin's dragging down the blood sugar, right? And then I'm getting into more, a little bit more of a hypoglycemic effect because the insulin is also going to stop my body's ability from producing ketones 
so I don't have that alternative fuel source. So that's the key. Does it? Do you notice more cravings or less? Do you feel like it makes it may, helps it makes it easier to fast? Right. For a lot of people, herbal teas, warm beverages in general, very soothing on the system, trigger the parasympathetic nervous system, help you move your bowels more effectively. Right, which is actually very helpful for the fast. And um, you know, people notice that they just feel like it's a lot easier to fast when they have the warm beverage. Right. So a warm herbal tea. All right. One last question. This is from Nikki Mazik. She said, I did a 39 hour fast Sunday through Tuesday. After that, I kept my eating window at six hours. I find that I'm to the point of eating in a regular six hour window post fast that I'm way hungrier all day long than I was pre fast to the point that I'm almost a little bit shaky. It's like my body doesn't like to lose weight and wants me to eat. Does that make sense? I also lost five pounds overnight and I thought it was just water at first, but I'm still five pounds down from last Saturday, Nikki. Yeah. Amazing. So, uh, number one, you know, that's, that's awesome. Be able to do a 39 hour fast like that. So that's fantastic discipline, willpower, and, uh, you know, just setting to your goals and sticking with it. So you should be really proud of yourself. And then when you start eating your body, see your body's going through these windows where it's like, okay, I'm in a time of famine. I need to hunker down. I need to reduce my, you know, energy of, you know, I need to be, become a lot more efficient with my energy. I need to stop growing and repairing. Um, and so when you start to eat, now you're telling your body, okay, food's coming in, right? And it is actually very important to refeed well, right? And so it's not a bad thing for you to notice that you're hungry. That's okay, especially after doing a long fast like that. Do your best to eat to your satiation point. Try to make sure you're getting a lot of protein, a lot of minerals. So you might, you know, put a good like sea salt on your food or consume lots of dark green leafies or celery, cucumbers, grass-fed meats, um, seaweed, things like that, that have a lot of minerals in them. Minerals as well as the protein and some healthy fats will help create more satiety, right? Tell your body that, okay, I've had enough to eat. Right. And so you want to kind of gradually, you know, get back into eating, right? Um, wake up the digestive system, refeed your system. That way you're going to get enough insulin, right? And we, we, we talk bad about insulin, but you actually need insulin to produce um, enough sex hormone, right? Estrogen, progesterone, as well as to activate your thyroid hormone, right? So to take it from inactive to active form of thyroid hormone. So refeeding properly is fine. And if you're a little bit more hungry for the next few days after a fast, totally normal, right? And and I, I mean, I am like that as well, right? So if I ever do an extended fast, very rare, but I'm absolutely a lot more hungry as I start to eat and refeed, right? And I think that's kind of a normal, natural signal. Um, now, I would say the key would be creating some sort of a routine, right? Where you may do like a weekly 24-hour fast, um, you may do, you know, just trying to create some sort of a routine, setting up your meals where you're just observing your body, seeing how your body is responding and then feeding it appropriately, right? Doing feet, feasting and fasting, right. In kind of like a set pattern that, uh, that you, you have some control over. Mm. 
I'm sorry, I do have one more question. She said, this is Tammy from Michigan. A friend of mine is very thin and she's always tired. She eats healthy, but I suggested she tried fasting, but she's adamant that she doesn't want to lose weight. I suggested that if she ate more in her eating window, that she shouldn't lose weight. Would that be good advice? So most people listening, you know, this is someone very thin. Yeah, so I'm somebody who is huge on it. You know, I'm a fasting evangelist, just like you, Chantel. And so I'm huge on fasting, but I've never once tried to lose weight. In fact, my whole life, I've tried to gain weight. So I'm somebody who actually found fasting because I had irritable bowel syndrome. And it was the only thing that I could do to actually heal my gut, right? So it was just something natural that came and nobody was even talking about intermittent fasting. This is back in 2005. But ever since then, I've realized how amazing it is for helping me preserve lean body tissue. But you're absolutely right. Making sure you're eating enough during your eating window. For me, I'm somebody who can eat a large meal and still feel good, right? So I can do two large meals. Other people need, you know, other lean people may need three meals, right? They may need three meals over like, let's say an eight hour eating window, or they might even be able to tighten it into a six hour eating window, but they just aren't able to get enough calories. They get full. So they're, so they need to break it into three meals in that six hour window, right? Let's say like, if it was me, um, I would do one o'clock, um, you know, let's say three thirty, four o'clock, right. And then six o'clock dinner. And so they might need to do that. And consuming enough protein is really important. And then also doing resistance training, doing strength training will help you keep the weight that you want to keep your muscle mass, right? You want your lean body tissue, your muscle mass, your bone tissue. So doing some resistance training at least three days a week, like three or four days a week, and then incorporating the intermittent fasting can be really helpful depending on the individual. Um, you know, if she's a very lean menstruating female, we may only do an intermittent fast twice a week. We have something called crescendo fasting where we'll do, let's say a 16 or 18 hour fast on two days, non-consecutive days. Cause again, it's a stressor on the body. So maybe Monday and Friday, for example, or Wednesday and Saturday. So she might start with something like that. And on the other days, she's only doing a 12 to 14 hour overnight fast. Okay. Um, and breaking it and eating in a 10 to 12 hour eating window. And then those two days a week, she's trying to push it out to 16 to 18 hours. So she gets a little more autophagy, right? Breaks down a lot, a little more of these um, damaged mitochondria. She gets deeper cellular healing during, you know, those days than she does on her normal, you know, eating pattern. So we might do something along those lines. So depending on the individual, again, um, their body fat, their hormonal tendencies, their stress levels, their activity levels, you know, we can find the appropriate fasting window that's going to really help them thrive. Love it. Well, this has been amazing. David, thank you so much. You are a wealth of knowledge. And I agree 100% with everything that you said today. I feel like we're so dialed in on the same page. So tell listeners about your books, about some of your free products, and about anything that you want to share with them. For sure. Well, I have my book, The Fasting Transformation, which is really the, the complete guide to really understanding all the different science behind fasting, what it's doing in your body, how to put it into practice. So we go into intermittent fasting, partial fasting and extended fasting. So amazing book right there. Uh, easy to read. Uh, so you'll get a ton out of that. And I also have a great podcast. Uh, actually, Chantel, I've had you on before. It's the Functional Nutrition Podcast that you guys can check out. And um, also, I have a free guide as well. If you go to my website, 
there is a free guide. It's for the cleanse your liver now guide. And Chantel, I could give that to you if you want to put that in the uh, show notes. A lot of people out there that are dealing with sluggish bioflow. I see that all the time congested uh, bile ducts in their liver. You know, so many women getting their gallbladders taken out, particularly women more than men. Um, and, and, and that doesn't need to happen. And so we, we have a gall, a, a, a bile where we have a gallstone flush in there, right? Mm-hmm. An actual recipe um, for how to follow a gallstone flush. We also have all different strategies for helping support your liver um, so you can really optimize your digestion and your fat burning. Love it. Well, you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode in just a few. Bye-bye for now.